In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is considered the first Sunday of the month of Nessie. The month of Nessie in the Coptic calendar is only five days long. It's the last, uh, it's the last uh, month of the year. All of the months are 30 days, except the last month is five days. Um, in this year, because the month of Nessie does not have a Sunday in it, so even though today is technically the 30th of Misra, which is the, the month before, and yet we are reading the readings of the first Sunday of Nessie today because there is no more Sundays um, left in the Coptic year before the Coptic New Year next Saturday, God willing. The readings of the end of the Coptic year are always speaking about the end of the world. Just as each year ends, so also the whole world will end, and so we meditate and contemplate on this end of the world in the readings toward the end of the Coptic year. And so that's why today in the, in, the, in the gospel reading we read in Matthew chapter 24 when the Lord is speaking to the apostles about the end of the world and what are some of the signs that they could be expecting. And even though um, a lot of the, the talk about the end of the world has to do with the major events that are going to happen, people trying to interpret what is it that's going to happen in the book of Revelation, what are all these wars and famines and pestilences and all these things, and are we in this time, are we not in this time, and so on. There's also a very, very big component of the what is going to happen at the end times related to each individual related to how is it that the world is going to be, not because of external circumstances, but because of the behavior of the morality, of, of the way that we as a human race are treating one another and acting. When the uh, apostles wanted to know from Christ, they asked him what? Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And one of the very telling things that the Lord responded, and this was in verse 12, he says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because there is so much lawlessness, because there is so much sin, because there is so much offense, because there is so much by way of people attacking each other, hating each other, living immorally, that the love of people will grow cold. Whatever morality there was, whatever love for one another that there was, will grow cold and instead will only be replaced by hatred, by contempt, by envy, by attacks that instead of thinking about self-sacrifice and sacrificing for one another, instead we sacrifice the other for ourselves. And so this is a characteristic of what we would expect to find at the end. So um, in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, St. Paul, he speaks about in more detail what are the characteristics of the people that we are going to find in the, in the end of time. And so we want to kind of meditate on some of these. God willing, we'll be doing this over more than one week, maybe two, maybe three, um, uh, to look at what are these characteristics? What are the characteristics that the Lord said and St. Paul said that we are going to find in ourselves, in humanity, toward the end so that we can be careful, so we can protect ourselves from them? It is very easy for us as we see the world around us kind of devolve, as we see around the world around us kind of self-destruct, that we would be joining in in that self-destruction, that we would find ourselves in the same kind of flood of dissipation. We would find ourselves, you know, changing and still leaving behind the, our faith and going toward 
um, a lot of the wrong doctrines, a lot of the wrong beliefs, a lot of the wrong practices, sometimes and often without even realizing that this is going to happen. And this is what the Lord warned us about. And this is why we should be very careful how we choose to live, what we choose to do, how we choose to think. And now more than ever, as we see the world around us kind of go through this self-destruction that we protect ourselves and, of course, in the church. So I'm going to read this uh, passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses, where St. Paul speaks um, a lot about the characteristics of mankind at the end times. He says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So I'm going to go through some of these characteristics um, so we can try to have a better understanding of how they um, apply in our lives. The first one that St. Paul mentioned here when he was speaking to St. Timothy is that in the last days people will become lovers of themselves. The very premise of the Christian love, and when we hear about the Lord that he says about himself that, that God is love, the very premise of the Christian love is that we are loving others more than we are loving ourselves. That we are willing to give to others of the things that we have, whether those things are our, our money, our time, our energy, whatever it might be, our prayers, that we are focusing on other people. In 1 Corinthians 10, St. Paul said, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. And yet we see around us, again, as St. Paul warned, that the idea of loving ourselves has been the, you know, the, what we find everywhere. The love of self, right? And the love of self is, um, is, is not, you know, there's, we speak about loving ourselves can be a good thing. Yes, in the sense that God loves us, so we love ourselves. This, the lovers of themselves, has to do at the expense of others, right? That we are loving ourselves at the expense of others. That we care only for ourselves. That we see our neighbor in need and we don't seek to help them. That we see that maybe our actions are harming another person and yet I, ch I choose not to change them. That we see that something that I'm doing is causing some kind of destruction and yet I, am, I only care about myself. So um, also, oftentimes this has to do with the way that we respond to others, to other people. Again, in the end times, we will find that there is more and more hatred in the world. And that hatred, to a large extent, will be directed toward us. So it is up to me then, as the Lord said, that we are called to love our enemies, and that a person who loves those who love them is of no credit to them, and only those who love their enemies would be considered a type of Christian love. For he said, the Lord said, what? Even sinners love those who love them. So when, when Christ is speaking to us about love, He's speaking not about the love that's in the world that we find in the world, where we love our families and we love our friends and we love our children, the natural love. He's speaking about the godly love, the supernatural divine love, which is we love even those who hate us. So as we find in the end times that more and more hatred is directed toward us, the Lord is calling us to even more and more love to combat this hatred that we are experiencing. The love that we should be having is the love of God toward the world that he continues to have even in the end times and even as those who are hating him and despising him and, and cursing him, just as they would do also with us, that we would actually consider ourselves to be 
thankful and joyful and honored to suffer with the Lord Jesus Christ as he suffered for us. So when we are hated, this is really the time that we have to consider how is it that I should respond to this hatred? How should I respond to cursing? How should I respond to persecution? How, how should I respond to ac false accusation? These are all the things that I have to keep in my mind. This is when the question of Christian love has the most impact. This is when the question of Christian love is, is the most relevant. Not when I'm speaking and, and I'm dealing with people who love me, who are around me, but dealing with people who hate me, that are around me. How should I respond to them? Do I feel justified in returning hatred to them because they hate me? And all I'm doing is defending myself, right? Maybe I feel justified that if I hate you, then you, um, uh, or sorry, if you hate me, then I can respond with hatred as well. And no one is going to tell me that this is wrong, right? No one in the world, this is the, no, this is the way of the world, right? Eye for an eye. If we are truly to win anyone to Christ, we will not be doing it primarily with sermons. We are not going to do it primarily by reading the word of God. To many, many people who live in the world, let's say in the West, they are already familiar with the Bible. They're already familiar with Christian doctrine. They're already familiar with a lot of things and have rejected these things. And if we tell them, I'm going to come to you, and the first thing I'm going to do is tell you Bible verses or give you a sermon, they're going to reject these things, right? Because they already know them and they don't like them. They don't want them. They want to hear them, right? How is it that we would actually touch the heart of a person? Right? The first thing we should do is maybe not give them a sermon, but to show them this Christian love. To show them a love that goes beyond any other love that they've seen. And then maybe this will open their minds to hear the word of God. Maybe then they will be willing to listen to the word of God because they see in us a, a practical application of the word of God to them. So we should not feel that when we are hated and when we are attacked, that the appropriate and first response that we should have is to treat them the same as they treat us. The only way that we will be able to reach others is by showing them love. So sadly, at the end times, everyone will be lovers of themselves. And we as the church are called to live above this. And that's one, one other point about him. He mentioned 17 points here in this verse, in these five verses. The church is called to live above all of these things. Right? The church is, is, uh, is otherworldly. The church is called to live above these things. These characteristics that I'm reading here should not be characteristics of us in the church. They, should, they are characteristics of the world around us. What makes us different than the world around us is that we do not act this way, and we do not believe these things, and we, we, we don't justify ourselves in, in this type of life. The second characteristic that he gives is that in the end times, people will be lovers of money. Because the people love themselves so much, because the people are selfish so much, then they want to indulge. And they indulge, one of the ways that they indulge is with wealth. It carries with it the power to obtain and to have and to possess. And, 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 and because people who are of this type, the people who have no connection to God, the people who have no connection to eternity, the only joys that can come are joys that are in this life. In the only joys that come for people who do not believe in an afterlife can only be found in this life. There is nothing else that they look forward to. There is nothing else that they say, um, okay, even if I don't enjoy myself here, even if I suffer here, but I trust that there will be enjoyment later. I trust that there will be joy later. I trust there will be justice later. I trust that there will be comfort later. They don't believe in anything else after this life. So the only thing that we enjoy ourselves with or that the world enjoys itself with is this life. So whatever it is, pleasure or wealth or whatever the case is, we enjoy ourselves, the world enjoys itself as much as possible here.
But this does not satisfy. This does not fulfill. As much as people try to seek after um, satisfaction through wealth, through gaining possessions and power, and yet we find and very clearly in the examples that we see around us in the world that it's always lacking. A great example of a person who experienced this is King Solomon, someone who obtained everything. He was the wealthiest person in the world and he had everything that his heart desired. And from his experience, he wrote for us in the book of Ecclesiastes what, what he experienced at this pinnacle when he had everything uh, his heart could desire. What is it that he found in Ecclesiastes chapter 5? It says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Right? So there is no amount of gain in this life that will truly satisfy. And the reason is that God did not design us to be satisfied with this. God designed us. He made us in a certain way. You know, like some car manufacturers, they make their cars to take unleaded fuel. And other car manufacturers, they make the car to take diesel fuel. And that's just the way that it's made. And if you try to put the wrong kind of fuel in the car, the car will not work, right? God made us to take a certain kind of fuel. That There's just a kind of fuel that God made us to take. And that fuel is Him. He is the only fuel that will really allow us to function the way that we are intended to function. And so when we try to take other things that is not him and to like fill ourselves with it, to make us try to function with it, our functioning will be dysfunction. It will not function. It appears like it might be functioning for a time, but we are actually damaging ourselves and we are not meeting our full potential. And we will eventually break down because we are not able to function in that way. The only way that we can function is with God in us. So these people who are lovers of money, we should not be attracted to this. You know, how, how often, even in the church, even amongst us, because the world has told us that money is the way to joy, that money is the way to satisfaction, that we find ourselves leaving behind everything else that's important in order to seek after this money, in order to seek after possessions, in order to seek after career opportunities that are going to maximize my profit. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy, and there's nothing wrong with working hard. But I have to ask myself, what am I giving up for that? Am I giving up something even more valuable? Am I giving up my time with God? Am I giving up the opportunities to go to church? Am I giving up everything regarding my spiritual life, which is eternal, in order to gain the temporal, in order to gain only what exists for the moment? Something that will, in the end, as King Solomon tells us, will not satisfy me. It will not. It will not lead me to where I want to go. It will not fill me with the joy that I hope to have. And that's the one thing that we all share, whether people in the church or people out the church, outside the church, is we all want to have joy. We all want to have peace. We all want to have comfort. We all want to have hope. This is universal. This need as human beings, whether believers or not, that we want to have these things. But people seek after it differently. People seek after it in different ways. When the Lord was rebuking Israel for their idol worship, he told them what? <clears throat> he told them, you have left me, who was the fountain of living water, and gone after broken cisterns that can hold no water. Cistern is like a pot that's broken. And so every time you try to fill up these pots with water, the water will all leak out of the pot. And so he's saying to them, you are trying to drink water from these empty pots that have no water in them and cannot hold any water and you are leaving me 
who is the fountain of living water. I will give you an infinite amount of water. Come to me and drink. Why are you going after these broken pots that can hold no water? And this here in the end times is what people will do. They will go after to try to find that joy and comfort and hope after things that will not satisfy and not bring them what, they're de what they desire. The third characteristic of what we will find in people in the end times is boasting. This is what St. Paul tells St. Timothy, boasting. Boasting of their accomplishments, boasting of their appearances, boasting of strengths, boasting of opinions, elevating themselves to be higher than others, and boasting about all that they had done. And maybe the, the medium, the best medium that has ever been created to boast is social media because I can reach the maximum number of people and it's very easy for me to deceive. It's very easy for me to make others believe that I am achieving something or I am doing something or I have obtained something or I'm enjoying something. It's very easy. And some people this becomes an obsession that all I want to do is make everyone that follows me on social media and all my friends believe that I'm having the best life and that everything is great and everything is good and is that my goal? Is my goal just to make others believe that everything is wonderful in my life and boasting of myself and boasting of my accomplishments? But in the end, we find that there is still this empty void inside. We boast about things because we attribute the good things that we have to ourselves instead of God. Why do I boast of something? Even when God does give me something good, even when God gives me intelligence, when he gives me, uh, you know, um, like a lot of uh, accomplishments in my life, whatever type of accomplishment it might be, if I look at these things and I boast of them and I, and I, I act as though these things are my own accomplishments, as though the, I was able to make these things myself. In Jeremiah chapter 9, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. It is not to say that, that we have not been given wisdom and that we have not been given might and we have not been given riches. We have been given many, many things by the grace of God and as a gift that comes from him. But how do I use these things? And how do I act about these things? And how do I boast or not boast about these things? Boasting is the opposite of humility. And boasting is the opposite of thankfulness. To be thankful means that I, I'm thankful for the gifts that God gives me because I see them that they are coming from Him. And to be humble means that I do not attribute to myself all of these gifts, but again, God is the one who is doing this in me. But in the end days, our whole world will be filled with nothing but boasting. Our whole world will be filled with boasting to where we will even deny the existence of God. This is where we are in, this, in the world. We, the world has denied the existence of God because we are boasting so much on our scientific achievements. We, we boast so much in what we have been able to build. Just like those who built the Tower of Babel to try to reach heaven and boasted about this tower that they built. We have built the Tower of Babel. Our world is this Tower of Babel that we continue to build and build and build. And we look at it and we, we say, wow, look at all of our accomplishments. Look what we have done. Right? And as Friedrich Nietzsche, a famous atheist, said, he said, the God is dead. We don't even need God anymore because we have, we, have, we, we have replaced him. We have been able to achieve all things without him. And we look at our accomplishments and we are so joyful. 
And when certain things come, like when I look at everything that's happening with the COVID-19 pandemic, I see it as God is telling us, you are not as powerful as you think. Regardless of what scientific achievements you have, regardless of what research you have done, regardless of what you have been able to accomplish, this little invisible virus that no one can see can decimate you. It can, it can put you on your knees. It can destroy you. And it's not a war. It's not something tangible. It's something completely invisible. And, and I see that for us, the proper response to this is humility. Yes, obviously, we do all that we can to fight it. We do all that we can to protect ourselves and to undo it, yes. But at the same time as we are doing this, we sh it, should, it should teach us something about ourselves. We are not as powerful as we think. Why is it that we boast as we do? Instead, it should make us even feel even more the reliance on God. Who is the one who gives life and takes it away? It is God. He is the one. He can give life. He can take away life. He can resurrect from the dead. What, whatever the case might be, it comes from his hand. And if we live our life thinking that I am able to stand up against God, who is the giver and taker of life, then I will be miserable because I am not God and I cannot be him. And just as those who built the Tower of Babel, that is what they believed about themselves, that they were equal to God and they could do all things that God could do. And this is what our society is doing now. And so we as believers should be humbled by all that we see around us and say, I cannot stand against this. We do all that is in our human ability. But what if our human ability and the end is not enough? What if our, even though we, we have put all these resources into it, how many people have died? How many people continue to get sick? It should be a source of humility for us. We thank God for the, all the ways that he allows us to fight it. But at the same time, we are humbled because we are in his hand. What does he want for us? This is up to him. How does he want this to affect all of, all of human nature? This is up to him. We do not boast, but we are humbled. And we look to God for his protection. We look to God for salvation. The fourth characteristic of the end times is that people will be blasphemers. Those who hate God, not just they don't believe in God, but those who hate him. They blaspheme his name. They have no reverence toward him. They have contempt for him. Not just doubting him, but mocking him and attributing evil to him. Just like the Pharisees who said to the Lord Jesus Christ that he casts out demons by the power of the devil, right? That he is evil, right? And now we see around us that people even mock the concept of God. The concept of God, the idea of God is mocked. That there is no respect even toward those who believe in the existence of God. And the way that people use the name of God in vain. They use the name of God in vain and they curse his name. Even when they don't believe him. Even when they don't believe in his name. They still curse his name. Um, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Who opposes and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped? so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Again, our society blasphemes God because they take the place of God. Just as the devil wanted to take the place of God, and he wanted to sit in the throne of God, so also society now, as the devil, they want to sit on the throne of God. They want to have the power of God. Whatever that was used to be attributed 
to God and religion. Now society wants this for themselves. No, we don't need God because we can do all these things um, ourselves and we are equal to him. It's blasphemy. The fifth characteristic, and this is an interesting one, because when you compare it to all the other ones, is disobedience to parents. You know, something maybe that as parents, we have just come to accept. There's disobedience. And, you know, we hear a lot that the kids of this generation are much more disobedient than kids of previous generations. That the younger people now uh, have no respect for their elders. And that they, uh, they, they mock them, they insult them, they feel like they have no, um, no, no respect for them. Um, this doesn't mean just uh, that children respect their parents, but it means that children have respect for the previous generations. And this is one thing we see more and more, that young people in our society believe that the older generations have nothing to offer, that the older generations are ignorant. We were talking about this in the Bible study on Thursday, that, the, that because the older generations don't have knowledge of the latest technologies, which is constantly changing every single day, then somehow those parents and those elders are ignorant and they have nothing they can offer, that they have no wisdom. Why is it that children do not listen to their parents is because they believe their parents are clueless. Their parents don't understand, they don't know, they haven't experienced anything. None of their experience is applicable today because you don't know all the buzzwords and all the technologies and all the different new social medias that keep coming up. Every time I hear about a new social media like company, and I'm like, why do we need more social media? Is, doesn't the existing social media actually cover everything? Why do you need more? What, what is the benefit of more? And so if you actually try to keep up with all of the new technologies that's coming up, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to keep up with everything. And so you find that there's always something new that the, the kids know and always something new. And so it makes them feel that the, the previous generations, the people that don't know these things are completely clueless in everything. You don't know about these things? Okay, so that means you have no wisdom at all. Um, in the church and traditionally, it's always been taught that children should respect their elders, right? Something that we find very little of now in society the idea of, of children being taught to respect their elders. We always say, no, you have to be their friend, you have to be cool like them, you have to, you know, don't, don't, don't shut them down, you know, let them, let them act out what they want to do. Where, where is the idea of discipline? Where is the idea of control? Like, I'm trying to protect you because you, as a child, are, have been born into a, into a wicked world that is full of deception. And if I just leave you, to do as you like, to think as you like, you are gonna be lost, you know? It's like throwing you into the ocean. You know, you're gonna drown in this ocean. And so yes, maybe I spend a lot of time saying no. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And obviously our children often do not appreciate this. But why do we do it? Because I don't want you to drown in the ocean. You're not aware of the danger. You're not aware of the danger that you are in. Simply just being born in the world, you are in danger. Just the fact that you are here, you are, you are in danger. This world is not a safe place by any means. And I'm not just talking physically da physical danger. All the other danger, spiritual danger that, that the, world, the world has in it, all the, the demonic attacks that are in the world that we are trying to protect our children from. And yet in the last days, there is going to be a rejection. Why? Because as elders, as parents, who have experienced this danger, who understand and have insight into this deception, who understand the dangers of the world, when we try to advise our children, 
right? The devil doesn't want us to protect them because this is how he wins them. This is how he controls them. This is how he conquers them. And we as parents are like soldiers that are trying to protect our children from harm. And so if the children reject this, then they are vulnerable and, and that he has them where he wants them. And this is what we find in the end. In Ephesians chapter 6, St. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Why will it be well with you? Because you are going to listen to the wisdom of those who have lived before you. And when you listen to that wisdom and you follow it, you will be preserved. You will be safe. You are not going to be drowning in that ocean of the world. Instead, you are going to be protected. So it's very important for us as parents to, to not give in to the, the spirit of the world, which tells us that we should kind of be hands off, you know, that we should be hands off, that we should just let our children do what they want, experience what they want. Don't be too strict because if you're too strict, you're going to harm them. Obviously, there is such a thing as being too strict, yes. But maybe many times we are not strict enough. Are we consistent with them? Do we set rules for them? Or do we monitor them? Do we supervise them? Do we leave them on the iPad for 10 hours a day? How is it that we, that we deal with them? It is our responsibility before God as good stewards of our children to protect them from the dangers that are in the world. And at the same time to the children, it is your responsibility to honor and obey and respect your parents because they care about you even when it doesn't seem so, even when it doesn't look so. The reason they are denying you what you want is because it's dangerous even though you don't see it. This is the value of the parents. The parents see the danger that you do not necessarily see. And this is why the devil wants to destroy the family. Because if he can destroy the family, then he has everyone where he wants them. There is no one who is imparting wisdom. There is no one who is receiving wisdom from another person. And so, because there is no family, there is no connection, each person is completely vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. And this is why we see around us all the destruction of the family. This is why we see um, men can be women and women can be men and men can marry men and men, women can marry women. And the, all, the whole family unit can be destroyed. And if this happens and continues to happen, then the, the society, the, the degradation will accelerate more and more and more. So we as believers have to be very protected, very careful. The family is sacred. The family is sacred and a place where we grow in Christ together, whether spouses, parents, children, whoever it might be, the family is a sacred place and we should not allow it to be destroyed just as here the Lord said that in the end days, in the end days, the destruction will happen. This is a good stopping point for today. God willing, um, in future weeks, um, we will continue speaking more about this topic. Um, may God grant us always to have our eyes open, to be watchful and alert and, and, and observing and aware of what is happening in the world around us so that we do not become victims of it, whether as individuals, as families, as a church, as a whole, that we are always protected from the dangers in the world and that through the grace of God we can stand. And glory be to God forever. Amen.